0: You're a man of many talent. Marco Nunez is a strength and conditioning coach. You're a sports injury rehab therapist. You focus on recovery, nutrition, and how they all come together for the optimal physical performance of an athlete. You are the former director of sports medicine and performance athletic trainer for the Los Angeles Lakers. As I say, this is funny, you have receipts right? Like you, (laughs) you have a long list of doing great work. And so I want to welcome you to our time together. And just for those people who might be listening, who might not know what a strength and conditioning coach does, or what is sports medicine, would you mind sharing a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of broken down. And that's one thing that I realized maybe about 10 years ago. So you have strength and conditioning and traditionally the strength and conditioning, you think of a strength coach in the weight room, doing weights, doing squats. Increasing your vertical, increasing your speed, kind of all that stuff type of thing. And then you have the athletic training, kind of sports medicine aspect that you deal with injury prevention. When an athlete does get hurt, they do rehabilitation. We focus also on preventing injuries, even whether it's acute, or sprain your ankle, or chronic ones, which are like some simplest plateletinitis, plantar fasciitis. The interesting part about this is that sometimes those small little nagging injuries as an athlete, that plantar fasciitis, the plateletinitis, can be more debilitating and can seem to be more frustrating, which kind of gets into the whole mental health here than the aspect because then the athlete gets like, dude, this is just something small. Why can't I play out there? But it's so nagging on the parts. But then what I realized, and this becomes something that people start realizing, is that the strength and conditioning part is correlated with the rehab and the injury prevention and then vice versa. For a couple of years, like I said, about 10, 15 years ago, I'm like, hey, I need to focus on strength and conditioning because everything is intertwined. Everything's connected, recovered. I know you touched about it. Recovery is another aspect of it. So that's something that I started kind of grasping and learning and to be able to kind of provide it for my athletes as well. Hey, this is part of the recovery. The interesting part about it is that a lot of people focus on the pre-activity. Like what do you do before the game? What do you eat before the game? What do you warm up? Which is great. You need to do that. But then recovery is like, oh, I'll have my shake after I'm done working out. But no, it's not just as simple as a protein shake. I, you know, until I think, as soon as you see those four zeros up on the clock or the ref hits the whistle Recovery begins right then and there. It doesn't wait. Oh, I'll get home. I'll let me eat. You know, I'll do it tonight. No, because you're always preparing for your next event, your next practice, your next game, stuff like that. So that, but everything's kind of intertwined. And the goal of it is for, like you mentioned, is try to help our, my athletes reach what we refer to as their peak performance. Now, and when I say peak performance, because everybody's different. You know, I get it. Everybody wants to have that 42 inch vertical. Not everybody's going to have it. But my goal is to get you to whatever your peak is. Help you. Get there and help you maintain that end apart. part. Health is also very important. You always get, like, get a lot of parents that are like, hey, I want my son to or my daughter to have a 40 inch vertical and squat 300 pounds. And that's great. You have your kid or your athlete sitting on the bench and not participating in the game type of thing. So that goes into it.
0: Mm-hmm. No, thank you for all that. I think it's, you mentioned a lot of different, very important points that, I mean, the number one thing is the minute those four zeros are up there or the whistleblows, recovery begins. Mm-hmm what does that look like? Like for any parent or athlete out there listening, what is done at that point? What can start that recovery process? What are a few things that can start that?
1: Well, so one of the first things that you want to do is replenish whatever you've lost as far as calories, proteins, carbs. That should be one of the number one things. So yes, a lot of people do consume some kind of protein shake or anything like that. So, and it's fine. Ideally, you want to have some kind of food substance. That's kind of the ideal world. But at the same time, one of the biggest issues is that when you just finish playing a game, you're sweating, you're hustling, you're out of breath, all that stuff, the last thing you want to do is actually start putting actual food in, start chewing, so I get it. But usually within the first 30 to 60 minutes, you want to kind of get some kind of substance in your body to so begin that process. And then maybe an hour or two later, once your stomach has settled down, once your heart rate has settled down and your appetite has returned, then that's when you actually can go in and have have an actual meal, food meal, to try to replenish that start. So right off the bat, let's do hydration. One of the biggest issues that people kind of forget is hydration. They kind of drink water during the game, but then they forget to drink water after the game. So hydration, it should be part of it. And, and, and it's funny, I'll give you a prime example on the part. When I was with the Lakers, we had an athlete that when we used to travel on clock where we used to leave a city, get to the city about one, two o'clock in the morning, and he would always text me, hey, Marco, I have a headache. Marco, I have a headache. I have a headache. And it just became clockwork, clockwork. And then I'm like, well, what's going on? And it wasn't from a hangover or anything like that. Or alcohol. I would just get to drink alcohol. So we checked his levels, checked his blood works. So we quickly, then what we ended up doing, what we ended up doing was called a sweat analysis test where we sweat patched on the athlete. He went ahead and practiced and we wanted to see his electrolytes, his sodium levels, his chloride levels, everything while he was participating. But when we got that research or the data back, we actually found out that the athlete was in a dehydrated stage before he even practice. So before he even went into practice, before he even went into the game, he was already in a dehydrated state. So now imagine how much after the game he was even more so the headache was basically a cause of the dehydration that it was having in his body. Then we quickly put them on a customized hydration program. And that's the thing about it is that the hydration begins, same thing, recovery. as soon as you're done with the game, you got to start drinking water, kind of get that hydration back again, get you ready for the next game. So something simple as replenishing your carbs and your proteins right away, drinking some water as far as to begin the, the hydration process would probably be something you want to do within the first 30 and 20 minutes. Even on the drive home, when you got on the bus, have a water to start sipping it. And then we get into more of the uh, myofascial release, the recovery all that stuff, but there's more to it.
0: hmm That's excellent. Thank you for that. I mean, that's something that any athlete at any level can do and the parent can help support that. I know you have experience with the Lakers and basketball, that high demand type of sport. It's very cardiovascular. It's very just high demand. What about a sport that like baseball or golf, where it's not as demanding? How do you approach recovery? From that
1: standpoint? Well, you know what? You'd be surprised because even golf itself, yes, you're right. It's not that traditional high demanding where you're constantly running up and down the court and you're doing all that stuff. But golf is a little bit of a different sport. You're working more on these small intrinsic controlled muscles to try to kind of get it. But you're also using power. I mean, if you think about it, when you're hitting off the drive, you're getting that torque, you're getting as much power in it and you're smacking the ball. I mean, very similar to a baseball player where you're trying to hit as hard as you can, but as controlled as you can on that part. But even then, it, it still provides it because here's the thing about it. Golfers are also weightlifting on their off days. They're, they're doing the strength in the areas. So it encompasses the same exact thing. Yes, you're probably not going to see them with a drenched, wet sweat, you know, golf polo shirt all drenched in the park, but it's the same process because here's the thing about it. The recovery process occurs is it because you're preparing yourself for your next tax. Now, let's say you had a tournament today. You just got done, right? What are you going to do tomorrow? I'll start, you're going to probably going to hit the gym tomorrow. You're going to probably lift or something of like that sort. So you're, it's a, you're preparing yourself for your next event or your next practice, your next game, your next tournament, whatever it is. So that should be your mindset. It's not, hey, this game is over. I got to start ready for the next one.
0: Yes. No, that's great. That's awesome. When you were talking about everything is connected, the strength and conditioning is connected to recovery. Nutrition is in there, hydration. You and I have talked about it a little bit how is the athlete, like you said, mindset, mental health, and the, the mental sport performance piece? How do you think about that as everything's connected? How do you think about
1: that when you're working with your athletes or talking to them about it? It's interesting because I've always asked this question, and people I ask this question. I tell you, and the story with what's sort with Kobe is that, you know, majority of times in sports, there's the mental aspect of it and usually the physical aspect of it. So the big question is, which one do you want to be strongest in? Do you want to be a great physical aspect or a mental aspect? Or which is more beneficial for you as an athlete? Personally, you know, in the last 23, 24 years, physical part of it obviously is a huge component, gets you where you need to be. But the mental aspect seems to be the one that kind of like separates those other individuals from the rest of them type of thing. And you know, Kobe used to have this thing about he used to always say, Hey, who do you want in the trenches with you when you're at war? Who do you want there with you? Do you want that guy or the gal? That can hit a target from a thousand miles away as a sniper. But as soon as they get close, that person's bailing on you. Or do you want that person that, hey, you know what? They're going to stay with you to the very end and fight it out. And no, they're going to fear. So in his mind, he's like, I'm taking that second person because I know that person has my back. They're mentally tough. They're going to grind it out. Whether we're down by 50 points, whether we're down by 100 points, they're going to stick with it. Or whether we're in a four game losing streak and a five game losing streak, it's tough. The one thing I remember Kobe told even his teammates it's common. It's very easy for athletes to go on a slump, whether it's a hitting slump, whether it's a shooting slump. It happens. And his big things, his thing was like, hey, just keep shooting. Just keep shooting the ball. Just keep shooting the ball. You know, my daughter right now, she plays volleyball in a club team and she's trying to focus on her hitting. And, and lately, you know, she hits the ball, but kind of she hits it a little bit hard to go out of bounds. And one time I'm watching her from practice. So the next time, instead of her going and hitting the ball, she did it more of a little lob over and then she did it again and she did it again. After the car, I'm like, hey, like, just keep hitting the ball. And I know she kind of was like, and it's normal for athletes, they don't want to mess up. They don't want to get yelled by their coach. They don't want to let the teammates fall down. So they'll resort to what we call a comfortable stage. They want to stay in a comfortable stage and that's normal. But there's always a saying that no one's successful in a comfortable stage. You want to get out of that comfort zone and mentally you have to be strong enough to get out of that comfort zone and be willing to maybe take some criticism and be willing to fail a little bit but mentally, you, you have to be tough. And I think that's one of the hardest parts to be able to do that. But again, mental toughness or the mental aspect, I think, is a huge component in sports or in life in general, period.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. I mean, you just touched on some more amazing gems, as we call them. I mean, I think I want to highlight it's the process over the outcome. I think so many times it's like the stats don't tell the full story of like what's really going on, right? Like what is entailed within you to keep going, especially in adversity, right? I mean, keep hitting the ball, like just keep doing what you're doing and then it will feel right. It will give you the outcome that you want if you focus on that process. I think a lot of people focus on just that endpoint and don't actually, aren't even aware of what their process is or put an intentionality to it. So I think that's really, really important. I think, yeah, for our younger athletes, you know, as you know, my daughter is an elite level softball player too. I think our daughters are similar ages. And I think it's interesting for the girls that they're generally girls want to be part of a team, want to contribute, want to be liked, want to be liked by their coach, want to impress people. And so they put a lot of pressure on themselves. And so in actuality though, their performance declines when that happens. And the outcome is exactly the opposite of what they're wanting to do. So it's tough. But when you talk about, Mental toughness, that set of words has had a, I want to say, old school definition, and it's kind of becoming something different. How do you define it now, Marco, at this time in your career, mental toughness? And
1: you're right. The old traditional definition of mental toughness is kind of like, it was always correlated with suck it up. You know, just suck it up. Mental toughness, suck it up, kind of went hand in hand together. You got hurt, suck it up, get out there. Yeah, you lost, suck it up. You hurt, suck it up, suck it up. But mental toughness is a little bit different. And I kind of correlate that with the mama mentality. Everybody knows about the mama mentality. But even then, most when I talk to people, most people ask, you know, Kobe being the first one there, playing through injuries, uh, the last one in the court type of thing. But what I learned working with them, it wasn't necessarily that. That was just one component about it. The mama mentality was more of a little bit of a mental toughness, understanding that there's gonna be roadblocks, understanding that there's gonna be obstacles. And knowing that they're there and being able to approach them, you know, I was reading a book and I don't know if you read this book, Obstacle is a Way. The author's last name is Holiday. He has a couple of books pertaining to mental toughness, I guess, so to speak, or mental health or just mental in athletes or in people. And in there, one of the interesting parts about it is he starts with a story about a kingdom and a king where the king decides to put this huge boulder in front of the entrance to this kingdom, right? And he wanted to see how his people or people reacted to it. Obviously, you could do this through those three things. One, you can approach the boulder. Ah, we can't get out. I'm just going to go back to my house and be done. The other is like, Hey, there's a boulder. Let's find a way around it. Let's climb around. Let's maybe let's create a whole new entryway type thing. And then the third aspect is, Hey, you know what? The boulder's here. I understand this boulder. That's my scope. Let's figure out a way how to get through the boulder, whether we need to chisel away. It may take a while. Like you mentioned, there's going to be a process. It's not going to be happening one day, but eventually we'll get past this. And that was what, you know, when I was reading this, like, ah, that was kind of like the mama mentality. You know, there's going to be obstacles. You know, there's going to be things in there. Understand that's going to happen, but figure out a way how to go through it. And, and the first thing that pops in my head is I remember when we won the championship in 2000, I think it was 2009. And Kobe ended up with uh, what's called an avulsion fracture in his finger. If you go back, and look at the pictures, his finger was taped and it was a shooting hand. And it's very uncomfortable because as an athlete, you need to be able to grip the ball and kind of be able to shoot stuff like that. So the next day he came in. We tipped up his finger different ways and he understood, hey, this is my obstacle. I got my finger here, having a little bit of vulgant fracture. He can either could have sat out for four to six weeks, let it heal up, but he my it's like, nope, this is my obstacle, I gotta figure it out. So we taped it a couple of different ways. He went out there, started shooting, didn't work, came back. We taped a different way. Went back there shooting, didn't work, came back, we did taped a different way. He started shooting, ah, he made a basket, made two, made three, made four, made ten in a row. It's like, all right, got it, I figured it out. That was my obstacle. We played around with it. And then after that, we taped it the, the exact same way. As they say, to make this long story short, we won the championship. He was successful and we got it.
0: No, that's an awesome story. I mean, and that reflects, we got to keep trying and kind of go through the process of, okay, we're going to try it. And knowing that nothing's going to be perfect, let's try it. Okay. we'll make the adjustment. I think it's a really important the way you talked about mental toughness. It used to be, like you said, suck it up, push through it. Just ignore it, ignore whatever you're feeling, whether it's physically or mentally. But I think what you're describing too, another word can be resilience, right? Adapting or responding to adversity. What is your choice or your approach there to something that's out of your control? Like, what do you have control over? In this story with Kobe, we have control over how we tape it. We can't control that he's injured, but we can control the approach to help him perform the best he can for himself and the team in this situation. So- I think that's super important. I think that perfectionism, like I think the stories about Kobe are so important because he was such a legend in so many ways on and off the court and that he had his own challenges and barriers like this, but there's responses that you can make and that he's not doing it alone. He has someone like you involved and his teammates, everybody to keep him focused as well. Because I think you talk about the trenches, who would he choose to be there There's also how they help him and how he helps them. It's a symbiotic relationship. And I think that's really, really important. When working with the Lakers, was there a professional there for like the mental sport performance side or athlete mental health in general, like a sports psychologist, clinical sports psychologist when you worked with them?
1: I think this is something you and I had talked about already before. And yes, we did have, I guess, what they categorized as a sports psychologist. We had a a doctor on there. He would come and work with the athletes. But looking back at it now and kind of having a better understanding of what mental health is defined nowadays, I would say that his role could have been better. Let me say that, okay? Yes, he worked with the athletes from a mental aspect, but I think it was more from a personal thing. Sometimes he touched upon it, but I think... Nowadays, that mental health or, or the sports colleges that are, are in certain teams are doing a better job at it as far as understanding kind of what we talked about the resilience and understanding that there's mental health, there's some issues, and it's okay to talk about it. But even then, there was this stigma. I remember when we brought him in, one of the things he had asked me, hey, you know, what, maybe can I find a separate room where a player can come in without other players seeing him coming in to see me type of things. So but even then, there was still kind of like a stigma. It's like, oh, you're going to go see a doctor. And so even athletes, some still felt like, hey, where I think now it's becoming more acceptable and hopefully it, it continues to be like that, that it's okay. You have issues and understand that there's issues and, and issues, like I said, Roblox, issues are part of the game and dealing with it and accepting it and, and approaching it and understanding that it's there is going to be better versus than denying it or just sucking it up and going, now, yeah, there are stages where you can suck it up and talk through it. Yeah, there's going to be certain situations that you can, there's access to it, but there's degrees, I think there's degrees of it yes yeah.
0: i think to his credit maybe there is a way that he is just trained to do the sport performance side which is how do you create tools and strategies to perform on your field of play or court in this case but there are also clinical psychologists sport psychologists who can also address life off the court
1: oh okay
0: family dynamics worries about like, okay, where's my kid going to go to school next season when I get traded or move to another team? Or how am I going to get a house set up or finances or contract negotiation? There's stuff that still impacts, that are stressors, whether good or bad, they're stressors. Like getting married is one of the number one stressors that anyone can feel, but it's also a good thing. Just like getting a new house or moving somewhere, but it's still stress. It still impacts you and can impact your mental health. So I wonder if there was a way that in this new budding sort of profession now to become more normalized on teams? Was he trained in both or not? And how was his role supported by the higher-ups and introduced to the players, right?
1: Yes, and I agree with that, that part is that I think he was introduced to the players. He was somewhat involved, but I think it was more... There wasn't much, kind of like the word that you mentioned, there wasn't much of a sports performance health aspect of it. And I think that wasn't kind of his main role. It was more from the clinical kind of social aspect of it, which was helpful because like you said, there's been plenty of home life stressors that can actually trickle down into the court and can affect you all the time. So it happens, I mean, it's life and it affects you, but I don't think he was more into the sports performance health, but it's something I guess that I never even thought about having two different areas or two different professionals to be able to deal with that. And depending on what you need as an athlete.
0: Yeah, you could have, well, a clinical sports psychologist can do both. Someone like me who is a licensed clinical social worker, so a therapist, and now going back and getting my certification as a certified mental performance consultant, I can do both. And sometimes it works to have one person and sometimes it's better to have two. It depends on the organization and the way it's structured and how it's communicated. You know, with my work with the Oakland Roots Sports Club, it worked for me to be both. It's one less person to coordinate with, but I think it's key whoever the players are, to have that coordination, like to have that communication with the athlete's permission so that a holistic approach. So like for you, it would have been awesome to have like a close coordinated relationship with you, the sports psychologist, the coach. But I think that's still coming. It's not there yet. I mean, did you experience any collaboration like that
1: back then? No, there wasn't much. I mean, there was stuff that I was able to sit down with our sports psychologist on a daily basis. So when he, so when he would come down, he and I would kind of sit down. Now, at the same time, because of HIPAA and regulations and law, of like that it was very limited as far as some of the information he can provide me. But that's the other thing also. Was it ever where all three of us were the head coach, the sports medicine, even maybe the strength coach, and this, everybody kind of sat down? I don't recall ever doing it. And that's what I was telling you earlier, is that I feel that we or I did not utilize him like, he should have been utilized type of thing. Even now, I'm still learning the aspects of it. And if I go, you know, in hindsight, it would have been different type of thing. But, but then again, like you mentioned, it all, you also have to have support from management and the ownership stairs to be able to do that type of thing. And also, the head coach. Is the head coach a big proponent of mental health? And if he or she is understands that and wants to add to it, we did some issues like that, but other ones may have not. So it also kind of depends on the head coach as well.
0: For sure, it totally does. It totally does. I mean, I think they can be a huge bridge and then also inadvertently a barrier depending on their perspective and value of it and knowledge. I mean, I think people who aren't, I mean, this is my own bias as a mental health clinician that people who aren't for it or support it just really don't fully understand it. If they fully understood it, then they would be like, that's a no-brainer. I wonder what your experience is. And I think that like a lot of people feel like a mental health disorder or mental illness are synonymous. You know, there's no differentiation when we talk about mental health that right away when someone says mental health, oh, what's wrong? I mean, do you have an issue? Like, are you crazy? And so I think conversations like we're having where we can differentiate that like we all have mental health, just like we all have physical health. And we all can get physically injured, just like we can all get mentally injured. And how do we, like you're talking about, prevent it, prevent the injury from even happening, treat it when it happens, and then help with recovery. It's the same process.
1: Correct. Yeah. And I agree with you on that you know, kind of doing the mental health or the how can I say this? Almost like the mental health injury prevention. Because the one thing about if you're an athlete and you play sports, you're going to get hurt. There's injuries or there's issues. You may not have a serious injury, but you're going to have issues. And teaching these athletes how to cope with the frustration, because a majority of the time it comes from frustration. And it's funny because a story just popped in my head. I was an athlete, and this athlete probably was, when I first started, I used to work with an arena football team out here. There's, I'm probably aged myself right now, but it was like in 2000. <laughs> and we had this lineman, and he played with us and with the arena football team he had played in the nfl i mean this guy was a beast he was like six three six four like 230 40 pounds just lean muscle right and he ended up tearing his achilles tendon now keep in mind that he's never had any serious injury and i think from what i recall he had never really missed long periods of time from game maybe missed one game or something like that, but never missed long periods and he had the surgery and they put him on a cast well, two days later, he's walking and he had to be crutches. Two days later, he's walking into our facility, no crutches, just walking normal. And the cast was already cracking. And we're like, dude, you can't do that. We got to lift the heel. So we have to send him in, put him on a cast. A couple of days later, comes in again. No crutches with the cast. The cast was broken already because he was forcing that. Yeah, movement. putting all that weight on it. Yeah, exactly. But we slowly started realizing that he wasn't accepting his injury. He was frustrated. He didn't want to do that. And, and it got to the point that he was staying home there was an incident where I think he got very depressed, started drinking. Unfortunately, the police had to kind of come in and get involved because he was kind of getting very loud. It got to the point where I think they had to communicate contact. Now, granted, we didn't have any sports psychologists back then. This was in 2000. Mental health was not, I mean, I don't even remember even hearing the word mental health and sports psychologists back then in 2000. I know there were some, but nothing like that sort, but that we had to fly in his mother in to try to help him cope with what he was going through. I mean. So stuff like that, even doing like a mental health injury prevention, helping athletes understand, hey, there's going to be frustration and stuff like that and, help, and giving them ways to cope with that as far as just part of it, I think should be part of it.
0: No, I love that. Mental health injury prevention, just like we have physical health injury prevention. I mean, I think that's, again, a great story. I love how you bring stories in to depict the concepts we're talking about. I mean, I think there is in sports psychology, sports social work, the psychological approach to injury. That acceptance that you talk about is key. The acceptance that it's happening and then inviting all the feelings that come from it. Because what it is, it's a grieving process. It's grieving grieving the loss of the ability of this part of your body. So then an Achilles heel or Achilles tendon injury is so key and it's also really hard to heal because there's not really anything you do per se. You got to just not be on it and just rest it, right? Right. And so the athlete don't want to do that. They want to be active. They want Uh to keep doing what they love. And I'll be damned, quote unquote, if this little thing, like my Achilles, is going to keep me from doing what I know I'm good at and what makes me feel good about myself. So that denial is a part of the grieving process. That bargaining of like, oh, I'm going to cast, but I'm actually going to walk on it, not use crushes. I'm bargaining around like what this injury is to me and what is isn't. And then pushing away the feelings through alcohol about what comes up, like feelings of depression, feelings of doubt, worry, fear are all part of a grieving process. So I love that how you outline that and how, yeah, I mean, what are we going to do? We're going to call the mom in. I mean, there's no other supports back then in 2000. And mom probably did a great job, but she's not a professional. She can give him probably the TLC and like the perspective from a mom's standpoint, but, but healing that mental health injury that comes with a physical health injury, they're expecting, knowing that the athlete can expect that's intertwined and that's going to happen. And it's not like you're doing anything wrong. Those feelings are going to come, let them come. But that's also hard too. It's easier said than done, but you and I both know it's essential. And like, again, us having conversations like this and the ways that your brain and your body are interconnected and influence each other are really important. Gosh, there's so many ways I can go with it right now. When you talked about peak performance and its individual peak, how do you assess and define from a physical standpoint, what would be the peak for a particular athlete that's realistic but challenging?
1: Correct. So, I mean, as far as the physical aspects, we do a lot of assessments and testing, whether it's a vertical jump, whether it's a speed or anything like that, and try to find, see how far can we take him. And also one of the things that I try to talk to our athletes, and sometimes athletes may not want to hear this, is also genetics has a huge part to do with this type of thing. We had, I'll tell you a story, we had a player, Shannon Brown with the Lakers. This kid could jump out of the roof. I mean, he could probably jump and touch the top staple center. And I remember I went <laughs> one day, I'm like, hey, so what did you do? Did you do anything while you were growing up? He's like, nope. I mean, I probably did a little bit of jumping here and there. And that's it, but he was just naturally gifted those four, you know, he has type two muscle fibers in his body, like crazy, type thing. But even then, it doesn't mean that you cannot get to where you want to be. And that's what I mean when I always tell everybody, reach individuals or the athletes peak performance, Everybody is slightly different. Nobody's going to be the same type of thing. So our goal is try to get you, or my goal is try to get you to your peak performance. And then as far as the physical testing, like I said, we do assessments on a monthly basis, to make sure that we're progressing, you're, you're progressing now in case you're regressing, then we change you and kind of go from that part.
0: No, that's great. I love it. That's fascinating to me. I always learn when I talk to you about like type two muscle fibers work. (laughs) I don't like (laughs) think about that stuff. That is so cool. So, what does your day to day life look like now, Marco, in the work that you're doing? What kinds of athletes and teams are you working with right now? And what makes your day like one to wake up? To and like
1: be excited about? Yeah, so right now I have a couple of tasks or a couple of things that, that I'm doing. One, I, I work with athletes as far as strength and conditioning, rehabilitation, anything that sort of more importantly, injury prevention, trying to kind of get them, like I said, to their peak performance. I recently opened up a performance facility out here in New York, Belinda, California, I partnered up with two of my colleagues. So we're working with a couple of young athletes, particularly in hockey and that part, and trying to do their strength and conditioning too. I'm just going to start working with a couple of volleyball players. But also just, I guess, the desire to keep your earnings. So I consult for a company called Strive Technology, which is more sports science. And what they do, they've created these shorts with EMG sensors. So when I'm rehabbing an athlete or working with an athlete, I can actually keep track of their muscular output. How much, how strong are their muscles contracting? Are they contracting? Are they utilizing properly when they're functioning? Because that's one of the things that, that I've realized that as an athlete, or just as human beings, we're what we call compensatory machines. We learn how to compensate whether physically, or mentally, whether it's mentally, whether we compensate by creating an addiction to something and that's how we cope with certain things. Same thing with the body copes and adapts and compensates. But when you compensate, just like physically or mentally, if you compensate incorrectly, it can lead to an injury. Just mentally, if you compensate and cope, whether it's like something is drinking alcohol or becoming an alcoholic, then that also creates an injury. Exactly. It's so funny how they just connect and then people like think that kind of separate. No, everything is together. <laughs> And hopefully, the sooner people understand that, hopefully, it'd be better for the athletes in general.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you've said this many times like athletes are humans, they have human bodies and human minds and human hearts. And so, to not connect the two and not realize the benefits of connecting the two is we're missing something. Because as you know, and you've mentioned this before, and I've talked to the athletes I work with, it's like you can only get so far physically. It's like the, the ones who realize the power of the mind and train it and use it just like they train their body. That's what takes you to the next level is the mind. What's that saying? 80% of sport is mental. Is that what it is?
1: It's just something like that. Yeah. It's, no, but you're right. Majority of it is a mental aspect. And it's funny that you said exactly. I was just talking to my daughter yesterday. We're driving and there's a I read something about, they were talking about how the lion, the lion is considered the king of the jungle. And the question is like, well, why is the lion considered the king of the jungle? I mean, the lion isn't the fastest out there because you have the cheetah. It's not the biggest because you have the elephant. It's definitely not the strongest because you have stronger animals out there like gorilla or anything like that. So why is it that the lion, this one thing, it's not the fastest, not the strongest, not the biggest doesn't have the most poison venomous is considered the lion. And, and one thing that I read is because it's the smartest animal out there and having that mental part of it can supersede all these other different qualities that you may not have. And I saw some of my others like, like, yeah, you may not be able to hit the ball the hardest like, like somebody else. You may not be able to spike it. But if you, you can position yourself and be smart and have mental toughness to be able to kind of overcome these, you're going to be better than most of these other areas. But then again, like I said, it's easier said than done. It's very tough. To be mentally tough, because it's easier to get to kind of beat yourself down and kind of get yourself down type of thing.
0: Totally, totally. No, I love that story. The lion, the lion, like harness the lion in you. I'm going to use that now. There you go. <laughs> the harness the lion. No, I think that's really cool depiction. It's very visual and it makes a, a lot of sense to anyone listening right now. I think the key is that okay. We know the connection between the body and the mind and we have to train the mind just as consistently and deliberately as we train the body. Like you said, it's not like, okay, I'm gonna think positive today, then I'm all good. It's really a coming back to yourself, just like in meditation, like we sit, we breathe, anything that comes in, we notice and push away. Just like after a big loss, right? Like we get down, we get down on ourselves, we overthink what could I have done here? What could I have done differently? Like, oh, I messed up. It's like, okay, when a loss occurs, that's an opportunity to build resilience because that's an adversity, right? And so being able to like, okay, acknowledge your feelings. That's good for mental health. Being clear about what your feelings are and be honest and then recognize them, push them away. And then we start to get ready. So just like, the recovery from a physical standpoint happens right the minute that it's four zeros. So does the mental health recovery or the mental mindset recovery happens right away too, intentionally. Like from a physical aspect, we take a shake right away and then it changes later, but we can say like, okay, I know how I'm feeling right now and I'm going to commit to an opportunity to reflect and learn and apply those learnings to the next one.
1: Correct. And that word that you just, just learned, and I've told a couple of people about this, You know, when you go and you see the standings, there's always the wins and losses, right? How many wins, how many losses? I've always been a big big proponent that we should change that word from losses to lessons.
0: Mm.
1: It should be wins and lessons. What are you learning? It should not be a loss. That is more of a lesson. What are you going to learn? What are you learning teaching yourself from that outcome? So how many wins have you had? How many lessons have you had? I know it's never going to happen, but it'll be interesting.
0: I love it. I love it. I love it. And I don't know if it's funny enough, but like, we often don't have lessons until we lose.
1: Cor- exactly.
0: Right? Until exactly. we fail, until we lose, whether that's perceived or real, like what we feel like is wasn't our best, whether it's the scoreboard or how you feel about yourself, uh-huh. right? That losing is an opportunity. Yes. Right? To learn about yourself, to learn about yourself, about your teammates, about the dynamic, about just, it's an opportunity to learn. And so we cannot take that opportunity for granted and let it pass. And like people, until they know it, just take the loss and like just sit with it, simmer with it. It's heavy. It's a lot. But no, if we can shift that mindset, this is a learning opportunity, then you're just that much better. And make a commitment to applying it, right, Marco?
1: Yep. That's what I, I tell my daughter is, that don't take it as loss, take it as lesson. What can you learn from this? How can you better yourself? What did you learn from today's? competition type of thing or game exactly. it'll be interesting and i'm sure it's never going to happen but it'll be interesting if about 10 years from now instead of when you go see the standings you see wins and lessons
0: that would be <laughs> awesome that would be awesome and it's a way to capture the stats in a different way too than just outcome driven points that have an absolute and then that's it i mean you talk about your daughter which is awesome i love it like My daughter, she has struggled with perfectionism and negative thoughts and lack of belief. And I asked her the other day, I was like, baby, what's your goal with softball? And oh my God, when I heard this, she's like, I want to be the best. I'm like, oh, I should have asked you this question a long time ago. I'm like, how do you measure that? How do you measure if you are the best or not? I don't know, winning. I'm like, okay. But there's some other girl on another field, another part of this country that's also winning. How do you measure that? And she's like, I guess I can't. I'm like, baby, you being the best, there's no way to measure it and you don't have control over that because who is going to determine who is the best? Baby, I want you to be your best. Correct. I want you to be your best, babe. Like, let's define what that looks like. And we're actually, with the Boulder story you had, we're actually stepping to the side to reevaluate her softball trajectory. Like, She's playing high level. We're going to step to the side, go down level and see how that happens. See what happens there. Like, what can you gain and learn from shifting? Because something up here at this level is not feeling good right now. We've tried all these things and we'll continue to try, but I want us to pivot. And she had a hard time with it at first. Like, no, I don't want to. I'm better than that. I'm like, okay, is that you or your ego speaking? Home girl. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> And I told this is an important lesson. Sometimes to keep moving forward, we have to step backward to the side. It's not a failure, right? It's an opportunity to grow and learn and access another part of you.
1: You know what? I like that. I don't think I've ever heard that. I like way you just said that because the traditional saying is that in order to take one step forward, sometimes you have to take two steps back. And oftentimes when you take two steps back, that, that's viewed as a negative thing. But I like what you said, you rather take a step to the side it doesn't feel like, hey, you're actually going backwards we're still staying the course. We're just kind of going a little bit to the side like that. I never heard that. I'm gonna steal that from you.
0: Okay, cool. We have lots of things we're stealing from each other, which is awesome and just makes the whole athlete population better with the way that we serve in the different roles that we play. I really, really appreciate our conversation. I always learn and I think we could have talked for hours. Is there anything else that you want to make sure you share today about your profession, about Like if there's anyone out there who would want to utilize someone like you on their team or for themselves or want to get into your profession and grow into that and they become a strength and conditioning coach or anything else that you really... I've been asking you all the questions. So anything that you want to add or say today?
1: The one thing that, that I'll tell you, the young student athletic trainers or young strength and conditioning coaches are trying to kind of get into this career... We, as strength and conditioning coaches, and also we always kind of measure ourselves by the results. Same thing, you know, if a kid comes in here and we start with a 36-inch vertical and all of a sudden I get to a 40-inch vertical, oh, I'm a great strength coach, I got him to where. So we also measure our success based on their success and their progression type of thing. Same thing with injuries. If I can get the athlete back on the field within two weeks compared to before it was three weeks, that means I'm a great athlete. trend. it doesn't. The one thing I tell everybody is that, and then this kind of goes into the same case, that whenever you're working with somebody you're not treating the injury. You're not treating the numbers. You're working and treating the individual first. And I always work and understand that concept that he or she is an individual. Treat the individual. Work with the individual, and then the results will come afterwards. And when I say individual, I'm talking about also the whole individual. Whether it's a mental health aspect, the physical health aspect, nutrition—it's all, all that area. It's not just hey, he came in with an next ray I got to treat that. No, and I learned this right off at of the beginning when I started with the LA Sparks. Again, this is back in 2004, I had an athlete that came in and my first athlete I met with the GM and I was ready to start. And she had just recently had ankle surgery. So I'm like, hey, she's going to be first one. I'm ready to go. I'm like, "Dunk not call. I'm like, I got all my programs ready. I'm ready to go. And she came in and unfortunately, you can tell she sat down at the end of the table and the treatment table just kind of started going down and kind of sobbing a little bit. And I'm like, whoa. So then I just started to talk to her. Hey, what's going on? She was very nice enough to open up and we just talked for like 30 minutes, 45 minutes and never did treatment that day. She went home, recovered, got back. Next day came back and then we started doing the treatment. And it was kind of interesting because we didn't do ice. We didn't do anything whatsoever. We just sat there and talked for about 30, 40 minutes. But I think that mentally helped her. She came back the next day she was more in it, because I said I think stuff was going at home. She was also frustrated with her ankle. She was like one of the top draft picks. So everything was kind of just falling on her. It's like you gotta get better. The season's gonna be here in about a month. You're not ready yet. You know, you need to help your team. So all these things were just kind of falling on her. And it was interesting because until so now that's what I told everybody. Treat the individual, don't focus on the results or focus on the injury that will come along as you go along with it.
0: Yes. That's a great story. Again, and I wanna challenge you, you can get treatment. It was just mental health treatment, not physical health treatment. Correct. Exactly. You're right. Exactly. (laughs) It was very therapeutic, the time she spent with you, just not in the way that you thought or imagined it would be, for sure. I mean, I think that you've pointed out so many things like the athletes sometimes aren't treated or treat themselves as a whole human being. They're treated as a commodity or entertainment or someone to just go out there and perform. and, And we don't care to know anything about you because you're here for us, right? And so the same way, if you treat yourself as a professional, like I'm only defined by my own stats, the ability to jump, the ability to recover in these few weeks when our job is what we do, it's not who we are. And so I think that's treating ourselves as individuals, just as we treat the people that we serve as individuals is super important. I think that Mental health, the difference between physical health, I've been saying there's a lot of similarities, but like physical health, you can see it when there's an injury. It's visible. It's apparent. Even to the non-trained eye, depending on the injury, you can see it. There are signs. Mental health injury or decline is invisible unless by the trained eye. That's a, a really important difference, I think. And that the desire to stay even, again, easier said than done. Don't stay too high. Like if there's a really good win or a really good play, celebrate or not, but then don't stay there too long. you need to get back to like homeostasis there. If there's a mistake or a failure, don't stay too low, be here. And that again, is easier sitting up, but a practice, just like mindset is a practice, just like mental health is a practice. Mental sport performance is a practice. And I say that to my athletes: go practice this. I don't say, go do this here's a new tool like imagery or process goal setting or this breathing technique for emotional regulation. Let's practice this and then come back and tell me next week about how it's feeling. Let's practice it. So that there's like more of a freedom to just play with it and not be so, again, outcome driven. So I really appreciate all of that. Really, really do. Thank you so much, Marco. It's been a pleasure as usual to chat with you. And it's great to be in the same space and see you moving and see all of your energy. It's coming through the screen and good luck with everything you're doing. It's some exciting stuff and all the best to your daughter and her her volleyball career, wherever it might take her. And I look forward to chatting with you again
1: some other time. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you.